You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. It used to be the case that you had time to live and breathe and find out in your brain what your next creative adventure is or what your next meaningful thing is. I think people have stopped taking a breather, and the word personal brand has become important when that's just a BS word. Yeah. Your personal brand is not about this book. The book's done. Now you can work on what's changing within you so you can write something unique again. Yeah, exactly. The reason I got into this business is I love the ideas. I love exploring ideas and writing about ideas. And I just found after a while that as long as I'm talking about subtle art all the damn time, I'm not looking for new ideas. My brain's not searching for new ideas. What are you curious about? I'm really kind of excited and fixated on this idea of hope and meaning right now. What's the connection between hope and meaning? We're developing so many extreme and polarized beliefs about so many different things. I think it, it creates a sense of disempowerment, hopelessness. I think there's kind of a widespread sense that everything's going to shit and there's nothing we can do about it. And neither of those two things are true. It's not going to shit and there is a lot we can do about it. So excited. Once again, this is your second time on. Mark Manson, the author of one of my favorite books, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Now, when you're on TV talking about this, are they allowed to say the word fuck because it's in the title? They don't want me on TV because <laughs> of the book and the title. It's it's funny because when I go to other countries, I get a I get put on a bunch of TV shows. In the US, I I, I don't think I've actually done any TV here. Now, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. First off, we've talked already about your book. It's a great book. Mm -hmm. It stemmed from an article that went super viral mm -hmm. called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And it really, you have a very kind of direct writing style. I, I feel like you're like there's so much writing and BS, like self-development type writing out there that all has kind of the same generic style. It's not, you could tell they're not real 
writers or they're not saying something unique. You have a very unique style and you had something very direct and unique to say. And now it wasn't so unique, the message. Like, of course, we shouldn't give as many fucks uh, as many fucks <laughs> as we would as 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 you know we would like to or or people think we should but you you had a very unique way of expressing it and how to go about uh incorporating that philosophy into your life you notice i'm trying very hard not to say fuck too much <laughs> and um the the book so i want to talk about other things yeah but the book took off like we talked right after the book came out the book took off it's still skyrocketing like it's one of the most highlighted books on amazon or the most I don't know how they measure this, but on Amazon, whenever they, it's one yeah. of the most read books on Amazon every month. Yeah, it's been like they can see on Kindle how much people are actually reading. Yeah, it's it. been top two most read on Amazon basically since they started that chart, and then I think in twenty seventeen it was the number three seller on all of Amazon. And and this is so important because as opposed to just like making a couple of appearances on the New York Times bestseller list or whatever, your people are actually reading your book and getting helped by it and. What it, what it also shows me is that people are not just reading it, they're also giving it to other people and sharing yeah, it. It's word of mouth. Yeah, it's not just it's not just telling people, like I think people market their book the wrong way. They say, oh, please buy my book. But the real key is to somehow write a book good enough that people share it. Not just yeah. buy it, but they share it. That's yeah. how some a book gets to be a, a classic book. Yeah. Yeah, I did PR and appearances and interviews for a year afterwards and then at the one year anniversary I was just like it's like okay guys I'm done and then it's been another six or seven months and it's like it hasn't dropped I don't think it, I mean it'll be I, years probably. I would say for my book choose yourself which came out in in a few in one month from today it'll be five years it'll be the fifth year anniversary mm -hmm. and I probably did the same thing I did interviews and stuff for about a year and then it kept going and it's only I'd say slightly dropped off recently but now reinvent yourself is is yeah. usually in the top you know whatever for its categories but uh how's your life changed since the book came out uh it's been weird man <laughs> you know i feel like success is is it's one of those things where when we dream about success we dream about like the slam dunks we dream if we, if our dream is to be in the nba or something it's it's like we imagine ourselves hitting the game winning shot or or whatever and yeah, success, like you have those highlight moments, those moments of like intense joy, but what you miss is there's still a lot of just weird adjustment and weird kind of like like what? life experience in between. And um, define success. Well, any well, anywhere from uh financial to uh having like a higher profile. Um I would argue I mean financial success is great because it relieves the issues of how am I going to pay my rent? But you were already yeah, I dealing, was fine. Your, your website was successful. You were you were making a living. I think the having a higher profile that could translate into so many different kinds of success, including financial. That that's the more important one. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's been a weird adjustment. I think the way our mind works is is that it it lag like our perception of ourselves kind of like lags reality, and I think the degree the book took off so quickly and to like such a high extent that it took me my brain like a year to just realize uh like this was happening and this is who i was and oh shit i can't afford to do that and oh wait i should say no to these people because i'm in a completely different situation now like who who did you who have you had to say no to now well i think there's a weird thing that happens in in careers like ours where you know when you're starting out you have to say yes to everything right because you have no opportunities you need to take advantage of everything given to you uh and then that that flips at some point uh and you need and you need to actually do the opposite you need to start saying no to people because your time is valuable um and there's way more people who want your time or attention than you're able to give to uh and then i think with kind of the meteoric rise of the book, like that's even gone to like the nth degree to where, I mean, there are people that I gladly did interviews with when the book came out that today I'm just like, I'm sorry, like I've got, I'm working on a new book. I've got two other projects I'm signed the contracts for. Like I'm, I'm busy 
fucking constantly. I'm traveling all the time. Like I don't have time to do some of these other podcasts or website interviews and it's stuff hard. that I used to. Yeah, it's just like you have to, but it took me a while to realize I needed to start saying that. I mean, I and the other thing too, I mean, going even further, so like again, like three years ago, two years ago, or like when when my book came out, they flew me up to Canada and I did a bunch of like readings and stuff. Um that was great. I was so excited. I'm like, oh my God, like somebody's paying for me to go to Canada. Uh now it's like I'm getting invited to like Korea, Australia, uh Holland and I'm I'm like I don't have time I can't and so I'm like in this bizarre position of of things that I used to like stay up at night dreaming about three years ago I actually have to say no to because it's not worth my time anymore. So so I think that could um we could almost envision that like a curve yeah. like in the very beginning let, let's let's say the curve is on uh, I'm gonna make a curve that looks like an upside down smile and so. Yeah. On the left-hand side, at the bottom, you're at the bottom of the curve. On the left-hand side, is yes. On the right-hand side, is no. Yeah. So on the left-hand side, the yes is is equal to zero because no one's asking you to do things. Yeah, right. Then you start doing, you start making your presence known. You start having something unique to say, and you'll start being asked to do more and more things. Yeah. So of course, you say yes. I like when I was starting out. I wrote for anybody who asked me. Yeah. I went on every podcast. I would speak at every conference. Yeah. I would travel anywhere. And then you get in that middle point where success is just enough that the yeses start to stay sit, turn into nos yeah. and you have to start saying uh no yeah. uh, because because like let's say someone says hey can you give a talk in Toronto there's going to be 10,000 people there i have to really think well that means i'll fly there the day before i'll speak and i'll usually fly back the day after that so that's three whole days where yeah. i'm not writing or doing other things not being creative i'll speak for only an hour 10,000 people sounds like a lot but this podcast will be yeah. heard by so many more. I might yeah. well just do another podcast and speak to t- instead of speaking to ten thousand people. And it almost doesn't matter what they pay because. And the the other thing too is you're speaking to those ten thousand people, but you're also one of like thirty speakers, right? So, so you don't have as much impact. Ninety percent of the people in the room actually aren't even don't even really care that you're there. So it, it's 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 yeah, it's one of those things that sounds great in theory, but then you go do it and you're like, wow, I'm actually. My time's much more valuable if I'm just writing or podcasting. Right. So, 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 kind of the first um, interesting point here is that uh, people sometimes give blanket advice like, "Oh, the key to success is saying no or knowing when to say no." I think, I think the key to success is more subtle, like say yes a lot. Yeah. Actually, step number one: get people to ask you to do something. <laughs> say yes a lot, and then yeah. you have to. To be more successful, to be like a really like the greatest, you have to learn to say no. Yeah, that's later on in your career. It's hard because I think it requires like the skill here. I mean, other than actually saying yes, like some people have trouble saying yes, and other people have trouble saying no. But I think part of the skill too is is having that kind of an accurate self perception of your own value, the value of your own time. You know, like I find that I lag behind with that. Um, that I I have a problem. I've consistently had a problem saying yes to too many things over the last few years. But then you end up in this weird situation where I mean, there's all sorts of like psychological mess that comes along with that. You know, you you start feeling guilty, or you're like, wow, am I an asshole for saying no to this stuff? Like, um, and 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 you end up in kind of this. If you get far enough to the right side of that curve, you end up in kind of this bizarro land where you're saying no to things that. That you know, all my friends would be like, "Are you fucking crazy?" Like, like what, what's <laughs> what's an example? Like, have you said no to going on Oprah or hanging out with Barack Obama? <laughs> no, no, no. That's what you're making um, it sound like. No, because that that would be worth it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, to give you an example, um, so my so my the book was number one in Korea. Um, always wanted to go to Korea, never been. Uh, my Korean publisher offered to fly me out, put me up for two weeks. Pay for me to to go like speak at all these different events, do a bunch of signings and stuff, and I'm like, this sounds amazing, but I I just don't have time. Like I just yeah, I know if I do that, that's two weeks that I'm not writing. It's probably another week, you know, it's another three or four days on each side of that trip that I'm like jet lagged or preparing, right. you know. So I'm losing, I'm losing basically like a month of work. So so I think what I'm getting out of that is. You have to come up with a formula for how much real realistically how much time something's going to take. Yeah. And 
you have to value that time somehow. And it's not as simple as like, I'm worth this per hour because yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. money is actually not the determinant. It's it's other things like, are you improving your creativity? Are you doing yes. other activities that, that will fulfill your, your dreams later? Um, so you have to come up with some formula for what that, for how much time it's going to take, what that time is worth. And whether that's, I don't know, somehow your inner compass has to yeah. be aligned with it. Yeah, because it's, if I start saying yes to that, then I'm going to start saying yes to all these other trips. And and yeah, it's it, the other thing that kind of started happening too, and th- this is also going to sound, sound a little bit crazy, but I hit, one of the reasons I stopped doing all press for the book was I started to get sick of it because it, it's, it became everything I did professionally. So I, I've been writing, I've been blogging for 10 years. Um, I've done tons of other projects. I've been making money online for a long time. Um, and, I, and I'm proud of all that. And I'm very proud of Subtle Art. But it became, for basically over a year straight, every single professional situation I was put in, all they wanted to talk about was Subtle Art. All they wanted to talk about, you know, they'd ask the same five, 10 questions. Uh, it'd be the same conversations over and over. And after like over a year of that, you know, I'm trying to get in a place where I can write my next book. I'm trying to find the ideas that are exciting for me for the next phase of my career. And so if I'm always being pulled back to the subtle art stuff, I, I started to find it to be actually be strangely frustrating. And and not not like a, I'm not, and I, I don't want people to hear this and, and think that I'm like whining about myself. I'm just saying that there's these weird side effects that happen with like we 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 never think about kind of the negative side effects of some of these things. Well, and I think that also what you're just saying, first off. I'll tell you why you're not whining because the book is still good whether or not you talk about it. Like the yeah. book's done. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to change yeah. e- e- whether you talk about it or not. People should just read the book because the book's a yeah. good book. Uh, second, we're living in this modern age where uh, if it, it, there's this need to feel like if you don't keep pushing something or writing every single day, you're going to be forgotten about instantly. Yeah, <laughs> And like, you know, Let's just go back to the 1920s. Ernest Hemingway would write a book every three to five years. Like that, yeah. you know, Thomas Pynchon waited 20 years between books. It used to be the case that you had time to live and breathe, and like you say, find out in your brain what your next creative adventure yeah. is, or what what or what your next meaningful thing is. I think people have stopped taking a breather, and the word personal brand has become yes. important when that's just a BS word. Yeah, <laughs> like. Your personal brand is not about this book. The book's done. Now you can work on what what you're what is changing within you so you can write something unique again. Yeah, exactly. Like the the thing, the reason I, I got into this business is is I love the ideas. I love exploring ideas and writing about ideas. And I just found after a while that as long as I'm talking about subtle art all the damn time, my brain's I'm not looking for new ideas. My brain's not. That's, searching for new ideas. That's so interesting. I think I think I'm guilty of that a little bit and I've been I've been at times better and at times worse, but you know, I was writing about finance for many years and then I started writing about in this very vulnerable way going broke and failure and how I bounced back. Mm-hmm. And I had I literally had hundreds and hundreds of stories about that, that I looked at from different viewpoints, but at some point after, you know, so many articles, I you know, there's only so many times I can write about. Oh well, this time it went broke, and I yeah. did this. So, but I think I was afraid to break free because I saw how much it attracted people that style. But I had to find other things. Yeah, it, it's hard. Uh, and, and for me, it's I always try to straddle. You know, two two areas. One is kind of like what people know me for, and what and what people already enjoy that I've written, and then finding some new area that I'm very curious about or excited about. Like what are you so so by the way, the reason I'm sometimes writing stuff down is because mm-hmm. I'm taking notes. Um what are you curious about? What are you exploring that you haven't yet written about? Um I'm really kind of excited and and fixated on this idea of of hope and meaning right now. I feel like we're living in a very interesting time in that everybody, like across the political spectrum. Um, everybody seems to feel like the world is ending uh, when objectively, like things are pretty okay. 
Well, have you ever, um, have you seen Han Rosling's book, Factfulness? Or Steven Pinker's book, uh, Enlightenment Now. So yeah, I'm I'm I've read Steven Pinker's book. I haven't read Rosling's book. So Rosling's book, Factfulness, I think actually is better. I, I don't want to say it's better than Pinker's book. I yeah. I think it. I think they're almost derivative of each other. I can't tell which one came first. But Bill Gates has tweeted out that Rosling's book is his all time favorite book. Yeah, and it's filled with chart after chart after chart about how every single year the world is actually getting better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at. On all these different material measurements and statistical measurements, like yeah, we're better than ever. But what I'm, what I find fascinating is this idea of that people are seem disconnected from that, and and I think people are always a little disconnected. Yes. Like we tend to be very pessimistic and we idealize the past, but I think something's happening today in particular where like they're just overreactions to everything. Like before before we started this interview, we were talking about uh Michelle Wolf. Yeah, the comedian. And her bit at the White House correspondence dinner and we you know, you guys were talking about it. And you you just in, within that like 2-minute conversation, you guys mentioned that there were some articles saying that she was like this hero and savior that our country needs. And then there were other articles saying that like she was just this awful, horrible person. And I think we were you know, political polarization gets a lot of attention now, but I think we're polarized about everything. And I think, uh, I think the side effect of that polarization from just the way information is shared everywhere um, is kind of this sense of hopelessness. Is that everything is either just amazing or awful, and in either way, it's like it's out of your hands. You can't do anything about you, it. You know, it's that I think I think you're right, but I think it's also related to simply the algorithms in social media mm -hmm. because right now on facebook you know we all have too many friends right yeah. so we all have friends beyond a, a, almost everybody on facebook has friends beyond the so-called dunbar number which is the number of friends yeah. your brain can legitimately handle or acquaintances your brain can handle which is about 150. yeah so you probably have five thousand friends i have five thousand friends jay doing auto here has 20 friends but uh, no, <laughs> so, but but uh, uh, so so what happens is Facebook has to organize our feeds to the ones we engage with the most, and we only engage with the people who opinions agree with yeah. us most of the time. So we only see on, and we're all on social media for like an hour a day. We only see the opinions we agree with, yeah, all day long. And yeah. so it's almost becomes wrong to disagree with somebody. And you see people like I see people saying. Um, one thing and then another they'll be coming well I guess I have to unfriend you now like <laughs> it used to be the case like F. Scott Fitzgerald in 1940 wrote a letter to his daughter where he specifically gave her advice make sure you spend as much time as possible with people of differing opinions yeah. because that's how you learn now it just doesn't happen like the opposite yeah. happens I, I, I definitely think the filter bubble is a thing the, the other issue too I think is there's so much contradictory information um, like I remember I got on, on Facebook once and it was, I think I got on in the morning and I was scrolling and an article went by and I'm trying to remember what diet or nutrition thing. Let's say it was keto just as an example. So I, I scroll by and it's like keto is, uh, the new best diet, you know, it saves lives and blah, blah, blah. So basically saying keto, the keto diet is like the best thing since sliced bread. And I was like, okay. Not even like five minutes later, I'm scrolling down and it's like, keto will kill you. Keto is like the worst thing ever. And I feel like it's like this for everything. Everything that happens, it's like, it's whether it's political, like, you know, North Korea or whatever, it's, uh, or some peace deal or, or some, the tax bill. It's like one, you read one thing, it says it's the best thing ever. And then like five minutes later, you're hit with another thing saying that it's the worst thing ever. And then five minutes later, you're hit with a thing saying that everybody's wrong and nobody understands it because actually this is the worst thing. And, and I think people just get confused. I think, I know I do. And I know I just don't know what to think about anything anymore. And so I think when we kind of reach that state, um, our two reactions are either A, to just give up and just say, fuck it, I have no idea, and I'm just not going to care anymore. Or B, is to just take, like, pick a position and just, like, go all in on it. Well, or or there's a C, which I feel is the approach I've largely taken 
not to brag about my approach, but uh, <laughs> which is the best one ever, by the way. <laughs> right, you have to follow this if you've been doing that. But I basically have like because it's so confusing, that creates some stress for me. And I made a kind of conscious choice: I'm never going to have an opinion on anything. Yeah. So if I feel myself leaning towards an opinion on something, I just say no. I'm not a lot. I like it's like almost a, a form of minimalism. Like I just will not stock up on opinions yeah which could have consequences like i don't have opinions on things that are probably very important to people yeah but it's not worth my time i'm so focused on kind of doing what i can to be a good person i'm just not going to waste time arguing or thinking about what's right or wrong about yeah. anything else yeah i think and i think this is new i think people checking out i i don't necessarily think i've checked out because i still want to have impact yeah like i'm not like just hiding in my room but i'm just not going to think about which diet is better or which yeah you know approach to some way of living life is better yeah i i just i think it's putting us you know i i think if you look back over history every form of media kind of has its it, it affects us psychologically as a culture um you know television um as great as it was Kind of made everybody sedated and and passive, um, and and I think the internet is is having some of these like psychological effects uh, on us in in a really interesting way. And and like I said, it kind of the thing I'm reading about a lot right now is is this idea of of because I think to be psychologically healthy and happy, we have to have a sense of meaning in our lives. We have to have a sense that we can affect something, that we have some purpose, that that we have like some hope in our future. Um, and as soon as you start lo losing that meaning and purpose and, and hope, um, people become depressed or they become incredibly anxious. So what, what's the connection between hope and meaning? Um, so basically you, you mentioned you're working on thinking about hope, thinking about meaning, and you yeah. went into this whole thing about how um, people's opinions are the same and also all the information's wrong. So what's the connection between that and hope and meaning? Like, how, For someone listening to this who agrees with what we were just talking about, where does hope and meaning play a role? I think the connection here is is kind of what I'm starting to think, and this is just an idea. But what I'm starting to think is that uh, the the extreme polarization of information in the culture today is creating a widespread sense of of hopelessness and meaninglessness. Um, people mm. people either think Trump is going to save the world or that he's the next Hitler. Like there's nobody, I personally am like semi-indifferent towards Trump. I think he's just another mediocre president. Um, and the president, you know, doesn't have that much power. Can't actually do that much. So right, if you look at the constitution, there's like, he can greet heads of state. Yeah. He can sign treaties. He can't, he can't pass a law. He can't even recommend laws to Congress. Yeah. He does it informally. But the majority of the country has these extreme opinions of him. And it's not just him, it's it's everything. Um, and and I think as soon as you get pushed off into those extreme opinions, you start feeling disempowered. You know, Because if Trump is the best thing that ever happened to the world, then it's like, what can I do? Well, no, I... I, I'm not going to do anything. Trump's going to do it. And if you think he's the worst thing that ever happened, you also feel disempowered. You're like, oh my God, the country and the world are going to shit. We're all screwed. You think that is an excuse? So for instance, oh, he got elected. I'm just not even going to pay attention anymore to anything. Like So now, so like you're taking yourself off, off the need to make an impact. No, I mean, I think the problem is there's too much attention. I think it's... It's too much attention and in, in too extreme of a form, and so I think because we have we're we're developing so many extreme and polarized beliefs about so many different things, I think it it creates a sense of disempowerment and hopelessness. And I think if you look at like the rates of depression, anxiety disorders, suicide, like all these things, they're going up all over the developed world. Like all of the westernized developed countries, like all of those things are rising incredibly quickly. And so there seems to be kind of this epidemic of hopelessness going on in in the modern world and and I find it very fascinating to think where where is that coming from? And to me it, it's if hopelessness is about how we perceive ourselves in the future um and the world in the future, 
then then what is changing about how we see the future? You know, like I, I think um, I think there's kind of a widespread sense that, like I said, everything's going to shit and there's nothing we can do about it. And neither of those two things are true. It's not going to shit and there is a lot we can do about it. But as, the more we get disconnected from that, the more hopelessness we feel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then am I crazy? What's the so, so there's there's I could either unpack um, <laughs> what all the things are that are making us feel disempowered. So you you mentioned, um, for instance, politics, uh, which, like you said, is either you know some part of the country thinks it's great, some part thinks it's hopeless. But then you throw on things like some people think global warming is makes us even more hopeless, or uh, I don't know, the fake news is making us even more hopeless. Yeah. See, I, I think there's another facet of this too. So you mentioned the kind of the filter bubbles. That's I think that's definitely a big part of it. But there's another facet of this. It's just that we're far more aware of all the problems in the world than we've ever been before. Um, and so it just seems, so even though people like Pinker and Rosling have shown that the quantity of actual problems and violence in the world are are at the lowest levels in history, but our awareness of those problems is at an all-time high. Mm. And so I think that contributes contributes to it as well. So it's it's even though things are great, we're we're aware of so many ways the world is screwed up. And that just feels absolutely daunting and, and unbearable. So 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 obviously you've been thinking about this because you're also thinking of how you confront it and and you're coming up with hope and meaning. What's well, how do you how do you set your inner compass back on track? Well, I mean, like I said, this is all still area that I'm I'm exploring and reading about. But I think I I think so. Hope hope is is something I'm really interested in right now because I think uh, we one of like the core functions of our psychology is to generate hope. Like we basically generate these visions of ourselves in the future. That we believe is going to be better. Anything from as simple as like, I'm going to get a raise next quarter to, I'm going to invent a cure for cancer to, I'm going to, you know, go out and pick it for this cause. And and I guess hopelessness is I'm never going to get a raise. I'm not good enough to meet a yeah, romantic partner. I, I'm not going to get rich for whatever reason. And and even if I do it, it doesn't matter, right? Because everything's still going to suck. So it's personal and macro. Yeah, hopelessness. Yeah, and and I think it's it's very much tied to a perception of of you know the world needs to be a better place because you are here. Like I think we all fundamentally need to feel that in some way, um, or else we fall into to nihilism and and lose any sense of purpose or and, meaning. And I think also, even though I'm not a big believer in the power of positive thinking or the power of attraction or whatever it is, I do think if you feel hopeless, you're not going to seek out opportunities for yourself. Yes, you know, absolutely. Because opportunities never are going to drop in your lap. You have to kind of seek them out. Yep. And you have to have, you, like you say, hope is a vision of our future. You have to have some vision of the future that you're aiming for. Not necessarily a goal that you have to have because I think yeah. then you're setting yourself up for a disappointment. But you have to, you know, Progress is perfection. Like yeah. uh, you have to be making progress towards something, and you need some hope to to do yeah. that. So if you think about it, you know, if you think about like my generation or your generation, things were much simpler. We didn't have the internet. Uh, we didn't have cell phones. We had like ten channels. Um, you know, for me when I was growing up, it was very clear. It's like, hey, you do good in school and you go to college, and like things are going to be great. So there was always kind of this clear next step for my life going forward. And I think today, if you're like a 15-year-old or, or even like a 20-year-old or 30-year-old, it's not only it, there's no clear next step for you, and one of the reasons there's not a clear next step is because you're aware of how fucked, sorry. If, it's okay. Okay. How We've fucked. said it so many times, yeah, you can't say sorry that time. How fucked everything is in some way. It's it's like, you know, the college system is fucked and, and the, the, the corporate world is fucked and the government is fucked and like the environment is fucked. And it's, and so if you're a young person today looking like, okay, what's my next step? Like what, how am I going to contribute to the world? Like these, all of these things just seem so massive and out of your control that it's kind of like, well, why do anything? 
I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Even innovation can make you feel hopeless. Like how many people, even Elon Musk has talked about this, that AI is basically going to 
destroy humanity. Yeah. <laughs> so like AI right? being maybe, if if AI succeeds according to what these people envision it as, which I don't yeah. believe it will, I think they have a science, two science fiction version of what they think AI means. Um, it's 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 not going to make humans yeah. worthless. Yeah. So I, I think tech is an interesting thing because I think a lot of people are channeling their hope in the tech. So not only people who work in tech, but also, um, you know, just lay people like us. Like we, I know me myself. Uh, I look at people like Musk, and I'm like, okay, good. He's going to like take care of it. You know, <laughs> like it's like at least Elon's got it under control. But um, I think. You know what? What you just mentioned about AI brings up a really good point, which is that technology solves a lot of problems, but it also introduces new problems. So it's like the technologies that solved a lot of our logistical problems hundred years ago are now creating the environmental problems. So it, it, it's it like the problems are never going to stop. It doesn't also solve our inner personal problems. Like, yeah, like you say, rates of depression and anxiety and, yeah. and are going up. So that's so okay. So so. Not, I know you're still thinking about this, but just to be a little solution oriented, I have what no are, answers. <laughs> what, what are some ways to to get it's hope? all hopeless? <laughs> Maybe it is. Now, I, I I'm think, depressed now. One of some okay. So some of the things I've been thinking about. One, you know, and you you kind of alluded to it earlier. Like, I think one is is getting way more locally focused. Um, you know, I I my brother works in politics, and one of the things that he always says. Uh, to people is he says like people consistently underestimate both the importance of their local politics but also how much influence they can have on their local like one person getting out there and like helping and campaigning for you know a, a, a state judge or a state representative or something like you can swing you you can have influence yeah well you know my we're, we're talking in New York City and definitely, so I've lived in New York City forever, and definitely I would say quality of life in New York City is much more directly related to who's mayor than who's president. Yeah. So, and the quality of life in, in locally in general just means quality of life. Yes. Yes. And and it it, it doesn't have to be political. You know, it can be schools, volunteering, um, being a good neighbor, things like that. Like I I'm. Another thing that I find very fascinating that is that is related to all this stuff that we're talking about is I feel like in 2016, uh, there the honeymoon period of the internet was over and a backlash began. I, and I think the last few years, people have really kind of realized like, hey, wait, all the, there's like a downside to all this technology. Um, it could potentially be hurting us in certain ways. And I, I'm starting to even think like, I don't know. I don't think knowing more about the world is ever a bad thing, but it's, I think, devoting the majority of your attention to things that are outside of your control, um, I think is, is, is potentially, maybe we're discovering that that's not advantageous. Maybe I don't need to know about uh, a terrorist attack in Germany or you know, uh, some famous person dying in Japan or something. Like maybe, maybe I'm actually better off like not hearing about I these mean, things. I mean, and a lot of people, like I know where you're coming from because I mean, I've written articles about this. I don't read the news at all. Yeah. So somebody will come up to me, did you hear about X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Or you, even something small, like did you hear about what so-and-so said about this? And I won't know who so-and-so was. I won't know what this is. And yeah. I won't know what, you know, this is. And, uh, Life's a lot less stressful that way. I think when you work on yourself, and again, I go hyper local. Like, who can I help in my immediate environment? Right. That seems to me to give me the best satisfaction, as opposed yeah. to knowing, like, I don't know anything about what state leader is visiting Trump and how he insulted who and whatever <laughs> who happened. Insulted this but, morning. but everybody reads about this stuff. It's like a big. It's like yeah. the biggest gossip column in the world. Yeah, I've, I've very publicly because I get asked about I get emailed and asked about Trump like people want me to write about Trump all the time and um, pretty much all I've said is like 
stop reading about Trump. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's it's 90% of the shit that's written about him is inconsequential and it's not helping anything. Whether and, it's pro-Trump or anti-Trump, it's not helping anything. And also like I, I had one friend, uh, a good friend who had a, a very popular podcast, still does, uh, fortunately. And he stopped his podcast when Trump got elected because he said, uh, I'm so depressed about Trump getting elected. I'm not going to do my podcast anymore. Yeah. And again, I, like I'm politically similar to you. Like I don't even think about any of these issues. But I wrote to him and said, if you truly feel that way, what's a better world? Uh, Trump with your podcast in it or Trump without your podcast in yeah. it? That's the one thing you actually get to choose. So yeah. he restarted his podcast again, fortunately. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but again, like how can we so so maybe devoting less attention to things outside of our control and sort of deciding what's outside yeah. of our control because we also have a a misconception about what's in our control, yeah. I think. I think we rationalize, oh well, it's very important for me to learn about it so I can convince other people to have my way of yeah it, and it I, I think so the I, I I envy you in some ways. I've tried to stop reading news. I, I have this like, horrible like sense of whenever I stop reading news I have this horrible sense of like civic response I'm like I'm supposed to I'm lucky enough to live in a democracy so I need to engage to some extent but actually one thing I started doing that was awesome was uh, a friend recommended this to me is I started the only place I got my news was the if you go to the front page of Wikipedia it says in the world today ah, that's smart yeah and it just lists literally like lists the things that happen, the noteworthy things that happen, and then it's just a link to the Wikipedia article, which is always edited to like remove bias. That was that was really helpful. So I I do nothing except read books. Like yeah, I won't read. I'll read your articles online. Yeah, I don't really read online. I don't go on my Facebook home. I'll go to my Facebook my own timeline because yeah. it's professionally and my own mentions on Twitter. I don't go to the Twitter feed. I don't go to the Facebook feed. I don't go to the Instagram feed. Yeah. All those things stress me out. Yeah, it's. I don't it, watch news. Yeah. I don't read news. Yeah. And I only read books that are recommended to me. Yeah, I'm. I, I and I think I think this is gonna be. I. It's funny. I've actually got a friend who's writing a book about this right now. But I think uh, creating attention diets for ourselves is is becoming a really big thing. Um, I think in the next five years, it's going to be a huge topic. I think people are going to start talking about attention diets the same way they talk about like nutritional diets. But but that's still let's just call it that. That's a little bit nihilist in that okay, we're going to deprive ourselves of of something um, because it's not worth doing this. But what's some ways to increase hope? I agree, doing things locally or hyper locally is yeah. a good way. What's uh? I think doing things, spending more time with people face to face. I think one of the issues today is is that people, um, well, one of two things. One is is people overestimate the value of engaging online. Um, so they think sitting on Facebook and arguing with somebody about politics for an hour is like actually useful. Um, and then the, the the other side of that is that people are escaping online, so they're playing tons of video games or they're watching YouTube all day or whatever. And, and I think it's, it's, there's all sorts of research and studies that show that like we engage face to, I'm sure you've run into this podcasting, like a podcast face to face is completely di- different than doing it on the phone. Yeah, because only, I don't know if this percentage is correct, but somehow they've done studies, only 10% of communication is verbal. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't exactly know what that means because it seems like we talk verbally. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, 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 I would say the quality of my podcast went way up starting around two years ago when I would only do face-to-face. Yeah. The only non-face-to-face one I've done in the past two years was Richard Branson because well, obviously. Richard Branson. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I think people underestimate how much of a calming effect that has and and how 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 much more rapport you get just from sitting in the same vicinity looking at each other having eye contact things like that um i remember when i was younger um so i used to play a lot of video games when i was a teenager uh and i used to compete in like tournaments and stuff really yeah and so it was kind of a dork i was huge (laughs) dork still am i have a laser kitten on my shirt so that, that tells you everything you need to know um, but it was funny so I'd play these games I was you know I was in college or whatever and I, I just sit there and play games like all night 
And players would just trash talk each other. It'd be like, man, you're you're garbage. You know, your mom is this, and I'm gonna kick your ass and whatever. And then you would go to the tournament. Like you know, and people would hate each other. Like they couldn't stand each other. And then you would actually go to the tournament and see each other face to face, and you're like, ah, he's all right. He's not such a bad guy. That happened to me recently, where I was getting a lot of hate on Twitter over something I had done. Yeah, and like it was enormous, and it was all these anonymous people. And so, but it was really bothering me. There were some not anonymous people and some anonymous people. There were some people I knew, and so I was like, finally. This is one in the morning on a Saturday night, which just shows like I was I was actually yeah because I was paying attention to mentions of me yeah and it was one in the morning on a Saturday night I was upset and more upset than I should have been I regret this but I put my number on Twitter and I said if anyone really has a problem with me call me right now and from one to five in the morning I was getting calls from all over the world and the first common response people were giving me was oh uh, I didn't really expect you to answer. <laughs> And then by the end of almost every single conversation was like, okay, yeah, I, yeah, cool. I, you're a madman. Yeah, I see your, I see your point. <laughs> you're an absolute madman. No, it was like, I would, I would never have the courage to. It do was a mistake that. to do it. It was a mistake to do it, but it was interesting to see the response, have the experience. Yeah, absolutely. But, but okay, spending more time with people face to face. Yeah, um, and then I think just doing something productive, um, productive, and and I think again, you know. Preferably meshing this with something local, like going out and doing something productive. And it, and it can. What do you it, mean? Yeah, it doesn't need to be. You don't need to go like build a house for a homeless person or something. But like, um, I think it's important to like develop skills. Like, get, like find something that you want to get good at. I like one thing I've noticed talking to people, talking to a lot of my readers. A lot of a lot of the readers who who email me or contact me who are like struggling with depression or. Um, feel like a lack lack of hope. Uh, don't don't have any clear fut- like vision of a future for themselves. I start asking them like, well, what do you do? How do you spend your time? And most of them, they're just they just work and then go home and like watch TV. And I'm like, well, what are you? What's your hobbies? And they're like, well, I like to eat, you know. And I'm like, I was like, you need to like find like a skill, like crocheting. I don't know origami, like whatever the hell. Like just find, like go learn something. I I always tell people, go to a bookstore and find a section where you could possibly imagine you you would want to read every single book in that section. Because that's a good way to find out what you might be even slightly interested in. Yeah. Or, Or I say, what were you interested in when you were nine years old or 10 years old and how has it grown? Yeah. So let's say you loved comic books. Yeah. Maybe you could be... A write, you know, there's so many places now, forums you could write and be, you know, a reviewer or write scripts or whatever related to comic books. Yeah, because it's like, you know, let's say I I take up painting or something. You know, it, it's it's suddenly if I start start doing it and I notice some improvement and I start reading some books about it, suddenly you're excited. I have some hope. I'm like, oh, if I keep working at this for the next six months or if I work through this book or whatever. I can do paintings like this. And so that creates this sense of future expectation. And, and, and it's a reason to get out of bed and do something. So I think it's um, it's really, I think simplicity is kind of the answer. I, I think... Uh, so do you think this will be... Oh, so actually, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. That sounds... Yeah. Simplicity. I, I think, what do you mean? I think, uh, I think complex, like the... So the world has always been incredibly complex, way more complex than any any single person can understand. But I think our awareness of the complexity is harming us psychologically. I think it's it's causing us to feel as though whatever we do is, is, is there's futility in it. You know, like there's so it's this is the what's that book? Uh, the Paradox of Choice. Mm-hmm, exactly, Barry Schwartz. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like you're you're saying now, um, information overload is is also the paradox of choice. I think so. As opposed to just many choices. He was referring to many choices in the supermarket, yep. but it's now also choices in terms of what information and media we consume. Yeah, one way I described it in one of my articles is I mentioned the paradox of choice. I said like the more choices we have, the less we value each decision. And I said it might be the same with information. Like the more information we have 
the less we value any given information. And this is why now you have people believing the earth is flat. Well, it's like, well, hell, it's like everything else is contradicted online. You know, vaccines don't work anymore. And I think it's maybe the way our brain just works is the more of something it has, the less we value it, the less we care about it. It's interesting. You can find articles proving everything. I can probably find articles proving the earth is flat. I can can find articles on either side of vaccines, on either side of GMOs, on either side of climate change, on either side of politics. Yeah. Uh, And uh, and the scary thing is that the more extreme and stupid it is, the more attention it gets. Because the the internet is always sorting for extremity and like unexpectedness. Um, That's that's always what gets the most attention. So, So the dumber the idea, the more attention it will get and the more it kind of like lowers the lowers our standards of what information is worth accepting and paying attention to and what's so, not. So this is gives some good guidance on um, how to find hope, um, which is a you know focus on what you should maybe do an attention diet towards uh, kind of reduce complexity, um, f- find things to do that are productive in a local way. Also find things to do that are productive for yourself, like like. Like I think in positive psychology, there's the concept of of well-being, where one of the elements of well-being is every day having a sense of improvement at something. Yeah. And also your relationships, which you refer to as you know have more face-to-face time yes. that improves your relationships. And then there's a third concept of well-being, which is which is freedom, which is a little bit um, I, I I'm not quite sure what that means. But yeah. given that there is so much work on on hope and like of course there's classics on meaning like Viktor Frankl's man search for yeah. meaning what do you hope how do you, how do you how are you going to add your unique voice to to the mix <laughs> <laughs> which I'm acknowledging you have a very unique voice so yeah, I'm, thank I'm curious you. um i don't i honestly i don't know i i don't i don't know i mean these are these are all themes that i'm kind of working on in in the context of my next book but the the book is still so er, like it's so still so early in the process that I don't I don't myself I don't know what the conclusions are yet and uh, and who knows six months from now it could all be thrown out and I could be I, writing something completely different. <laughs> it, it's it's actually I I want to respect your time and it's actually we we're gonna start to wind wind up yeah. But you have a recent article. Um, and actually, you haven't been publishing as many articles as usual. Yeah. And I I learned from that because. My first like seven years of writing outside of finance, I felt like I had to write every single day, yeah. so, or else people would forget me. It was like a panic. Yeah, so I have yeah. like literally twenty five hundred articles in my archive, Jeez. most of which probably are not read or whatever. Yeah. People, so, so I don't know what like your last one is April fifth, almost a month ago, which yeah. I really respect. Yeah. I don't think I could handle a month. Um, <laughs> what do you? How did you convince yourself to write less? And I guess it was more out of necessity. One uh, for a do, couple do you reasons. Feel like it's uh, hurt you. Um, I think a month is a little much. I, 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 for a while, I was doing two a month. For most of last year, I did two a month. Um, this year, it's more one a month, and that's just because I'm busy with a bunch of other projects. And I've told my readership. I, I've told them. I've said, "Hey, look." First half of 2018 or so, you're going to get one a month um, because I'm working on all these other things. But um, yeah, I, I, I want I wound it down like back back in the day, uh, like five six years ago. I I I was doing once or twice a week. Yeah. Um, and I started to wind that down when I started working on subtle art. One just because I found that if I was going to do good work on subtle art, I just didn't have the creative energy to like pump out a new article like. Every three days. I mean, it sounds like you still do things every day. Yes. But not necessarily. So you're still working on impact every day. Yes. And I guess what happens is, is that compounds. And so what people remember anyway are the things you do that are impactful. They're not going to remember the quantity. They're going to remember the one thing you did last month that had impact. Well, and the thing I learned about the blog too, and especially the last few years, is that like one A plus article is worth. 10 B articles. And so if I can if I can just take take my time and make sure I like hit a home run with one article, that's going to pay dividends for 
for weeks or months. And I think also because there are so many forums to write in now that are open, like, like for instance, LinkedIn, I mean, I'm not blaming LinkedIn. Um, every forum is basically open now. Medium, yeah. Huffington Post, all these forums. It's, it's, people have to, they have to choose carefully where they're going to spend their time, what websites they're going to spend their time yeah. on. So you really need to give them something that they're going to share or else they're just, there's no reason for them to just keep coming back to yeah. your, your site. Well, and it's, and there's so we've been talking about how, how there's just so much stuff out there that it's, I really think these days it's quality over quantity is wins the game. So, so I want to just very quickly, it's, it's, it's 202. You okay for just one minute? One, yeah, one more minute. So the last article you wrote, uh, I think is great. Six things. Six things people should give fewer fucks about. Yes. So, like your your last book <laughs> is much more personal. Like, don't care about this. Don't care about this. Don't care yeah. about people's opinions about you, about you. But these are interesting, and it's worth thinking about and reading. We don't have to talk about them, but I'll just read off the 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 things. Number one, mass shootings and terrorism. I mm -hmm. think people would be shocked, and some people would be shocked that you say this. But you explained a little earlier why, yeah. you know, if we can't control these things, and sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, it's actually, it's just worth thinking about. Yeah. Um, and you you relate For, this. Yeah, I mean, I'll just rattle off one of the statistics I think I mentioned in there, which is that I think suicide kills more people in a day than all terrorism and mass shootings combined, like an entire year. Um, yet, no, we're, we're never talking about suicide or depression. Um, so for me, it's it's not that mass shootings or terrorism doesn't matter. It's just that the hysteria, the constant hysteria every week or two that these things happen, uh, I don't think is serving anybody. Right, like you had uh, Jocko Willink was on here the other day, and he was talking about how twenty veterans a day kill themselves. And that's just veterans. Yeah, and there's not really anything being done it's about this problem. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then the next one, you, you, there was a corollary there, which I thought was funny, the Kardashian role. I'll mm. save that for people reading it. Uh, saving the children. <laughs> and you talk about helicopter parenting. I, I And I put a Carlin video in the middle of that one. Right. I, well, he, he, had a, he had a great bit back in the day about fuck the children. <laughs> and, you know, not only that, Louis, Louis C.K. also has had a bit about it. Like, yeah. you know, what's up with, you know, everybody having a peanut allergies. Maybe if we just look away for a year, <laughs> it'll take then care of nobody will ever have peanut allergies again. <laughs> now he was just kidding. He said his nephew had a peanut allergy. It's horrible, but it's just things to think. <laughs> these are just things to think about. It's not like you're yeah. telling people don't pay attention to all. steroids. I actually totally agree with you. We had yeah. Floyd Landis on in every sport already. Yeah, they're, they're all they're, doping. Yeah, they're all doping. And it fools kids into thinking you can succeed at something yeah. honestly when in fact at some point when you've already devoted 20 years of your life, you realize, oh no, I have to yeah. now do this and then you have to do something illegal. Yeah. And so, um, and look, Adderall makes people, kids dope in, on their AP exams. Like, yeah. So don't well, be, it's Yeah, there's a blurry line there too. Uh, artificial intelligence killing people. Uh, yeah. we, we, we spoke about that. Like definitely don't, people shouldn't care about that. Sexually transmitted infections. Uh, <laughs> I'll let people read that one. And Trump, I'll let people read that one. Yeah. But it's worth also think. What I like about this article is just the exercise of thinking what you shouldn't care about and how much time these things yeah. take up in your life. Yeah. As opposed to like you could be doing push-ups or reading a book, like a philosophy yeah. book or a math book or learning how to paint or yeah. whatever. And again, I'm not because I. I most of the emails I got criticizing that article, they were freaking out. They're like, "Well, we have to care about these." And I'm, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about these things. It's just that our reaction is very disproportional to our control to into the actual threat. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's you know, like the the sexually transmitted infections. You know, I have a huge piece in my archive that I link to on that that article, um, basically showing that like just like the the fear and paranoia around it when you actually look at all the studies and the rates of transmissions and all these things it's like ninety nine percent of people are going to be completely fine you don't this is you don't have to like lose your mind and go get tested every other week or whatever um, so it, it's that sort of thing it's it's the the point of the article is mainly to just dial back the fear and hysteria on these subjects. Um, because I think in in every case the hysteria is hurting uh, the cause, not helping it. 
and also hurting your personal ability to have impact. Yeah. If, you, if you're if you're if your fears and um, misbelief that you might have control or impact on these situations is disproportionate to the actual impact you could have, you're wasting time. Yeah. So uh, so again, this is related to that's time that could be spent figuring out how to find hope or meaning in your life yeah. or whatever. Uh, what's a good book people should read? Oh, uh, what's the best book I've read recently? Um, oh my God, I'm blanking. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I know you are. I've been really getting into like philosophy lately. I, I started a little philosophy book club here in New York. Um, and that's been a ton of fun. So we we actually just read Plato's Republic. So that maybe that's why I'm like thinking about these like social, yeah. socio-political things so much. Um, but I think my favorite book from that club was uh, Godel Escher and Bach. Oh, um, uh, okay. By Hofstadter. You know, I haven't read that since I was a kid. It's it's a mind bender. What 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 what's the thing that you t- take out of that? Because I can't even remember now. Um. So his the whole book is about paradox, which is just so cool. It's just how paradox shows up in like all these different parts of life. Um, and then at the end of the book, he makes the argument that kind of the paradox of, um. Our con- like our mind is what creates consciousness. So he calls them strange loops. I- I'll I won't explain it further. I'll leave it up to the listener to go explore. It's a big book, but it's worth it. It's a lot of fun. Well, uh, Mark, I know you say no to a lot of things. Thanks once again um, for saying yes to coming on this podcast. You also mentioned, you know, at towards the end of the year or early next year. You're going to be up to something big. Will you, will you come on the podcast then? I would love to. Excellent. And um, we met playing poker. You want to play? Want to organize a poker game again? We'll, we'll sure. get together. Excellent. Sure. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, James. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.